This is Raphael. I'm Lauren. We're the Pacheco siblings, and welcome to the Hypercube Podcast, a talk show in which two siblings converse about anything and everything. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Ah, first episode. This is kind of scary. It's real scary. There's a microphone in front of me. Yeah, I guess that's the thing is we've been doing this kind of our whole lives. The only thing that changes or is supposed to change here is we hit record and maybe formalize the format a bit. Yeah, yeah. we definitely have some ideas for some segments that we're going to hit on this podcast, which we probably will not get to any of them in this first episode. No, nah, this first episode's going to be a little loosey goosey. Yeah, we're just going to have some freeform conversation like we usually do. Yeah. And we have literally no topics written down, which mm-hmm. means you're going to get the rawest Pacheco siblings experience of Raw what deal. our conversations are like. We have a uh, we have a form ready to you know start filling that in, but it's currently empty. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's great. It's like a it's like a new start. Tabula Rasa or something. Cold open. One or the other. So, yeah. How are we doing? Uh, pretty good. Uh, uh okay. <laughs> I guess that's the the way to start it. For context, <laughs> uh we are recording this in January of 2022, mm-hmm. which is definitely that, that, That's not going to be anywhere anywhere, anywhere near, near. <laughs> when this is going to premiere. Yeah. So, if we say anything timely, just understand it was late January of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh and we will definitely be speaking of our time if we talk about anything uh timely. Uh, year two of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back in the day of year two of the pandemic. That was before just before World War Three started. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was something you were going to talk about. I did want to talk about Ukraine a little bit, but I feel like that might be a little heavy for a first episode <laughs> topic. Well, and that's that, that, like viewers, listeners, like that's what you're going to be getting into. It's like, all right, first episode, Ukraine, Russia. <laughs> what's, what's going on there? I mean, well, here's the thing. We got to kind of decide our boundaries here as well, yeah. because I know like with some conversational podcasts, for example, the uh, RT podcast was mm. one I used to listen to a lot. They tend to stray away from politics just as a general policy, because, you know, what good could come out of that if it's not the sole focus of your of your podcast? So the thing is, with us, again, our conversations that we have casually tend to range the entire spectrum of subjects. Mm -hmm. And we talk about controversial stuff sometimes and we talk about politics a whole lot. And I am openly controversial. (laughs) I think we are both fairly controversial in our own rights, perhaps for oftentimes entirely opposing reasons, which Mm -hmm. is what makes them interesting conversations. But yeah, I think we we definitely want to aspire to essentially not censor ourselves for this podcast and just try and replicate the experience of us talking casually. And if we think anything is not something for public consumption, we could always cut it later before it goes to goes to broadcast i, I like uh speaking of the rt podcast just uh something that they have in general um oh yeah that rooster teeth company policy yeah, that, that company policy is it, like if you're in something uh you have you know you have your right to veto your segment if you're just like oh, i don't i don't feel comfortable putting that out obviously anything we create uh that we're in we can um th- th- just say you know, probably shouldn't put that out there in the public <laughs> <at least maybe. laughs> yeah. however um the then it comes to the problem of we are the co-founders of this company, a company that we hope to make larger. There was a lot of stuff that you can say in uh, kind of uh, these kinds of talks. Maybe not necessarily when the people who are talking are the founders, but it's like, you know, the views don't necessarily represent the views of the corporation, but uh, they right. kind of do because we made it. 
<laughs> but they don't necessarily have to, do they? That's the question. Uh, we can say that, but like, how true is it going to be? Uh, that's fair. Because we can say, technically speaking, our views as individuals are different from our views, uh, or th- different from the views of the company that we run. Mm-hmm. We can say that, and that can be true. However, it you're do- also it doesn't in it, pretty high leadership. It doesn't and really also like some of the few people that are working full time, not even full time, at this. Yeah. <laughs> so we're the the most committed members currently. Um. So yeah, I guess suppose that's a bit of an issue. But now that we've given you every reason to tune out (laughs) uh i suppose we best actually talk about some actual things instead of talking about talking about the thing i like talking about talking about the thing yeah this is a bit bit of a meta start to this whole to this whole show which i suppose is pretty par for the course i think (laughs) all of our conversations get a little meta eventually so might as well hit the ground running yeah like metacognition meta podcast Mm mm-hmm we could have called this the metacognitive podcast instead of the hypercube. That would be equally pretentious. <laughs> I think I think one of those is uh, way more pretentious than the other. I'm really not sure which one it is. <laughs> one of them is, though. <laughs> I mean, how many people even know what a hypercube is? That is a fair question. Do you know what a hypercube is, Raf? It's a tesseract. But what is a tesseract, Raf? That's just another word for a hypercube. It's the fourth dimensional object that is in three dimensions a cube and in two dimensions a square. Yes, <laughs> I was just thinking. I was thinking about that. You went the backwards route that I normally go, which is, <laughs> yeah, which is I, to go dimensions up. You went dimensions down. I reverse engineered that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. First, you have you have a single point in the first dimension, uh, or no, a single point is the zeroth dimension, and then the first dimension you have is a that line. That's that is correct. Would you stand by that? That no, that is mathematically correct. Okay. <laughs> just making sure. Just making sure we're not getting our facts wrong. <laughs> well, because okay, so uh, we're talking about dimensions in terms of mathematical uh, directions, weight directions you can move, right? So the zeroth dimension is a point because you cannot move any any direction. You just you have the the point. Uh, the first dimension is a line because you can only go in one direction, forward and back. Second dimension is you can go up and down and forward and back, and you can get a square. Third dimension is you can go up and down, forward and back, and Side to side. Side to side. <laughs> you can you, you can do a you can do a hula, right? And then and that's where you get a square because uh, then you have that that line that you have extruded into or a square, th- and then that square extruded. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you have a point extruded into a into a line. That line is extruded into a square. That square extruded into a cube. And then the fourth dimension, which we cannot like reasonably uh, fathom in our puny little third dimensional brain, is we move in a dimension. You move in a, a direction in this dimension other than X Y Z. Yeah, which is inherently unfathomable to us. Literally can't con- uh, conceive because of it. we're three dimensional beings. Yes, so we you occupy that, three dimensions of space. You take that three dimensional cube and then you extrude that into another direction, into a th- into a fourth dimension, which we have not yet conceived, which we cannot conceive. But what we can conceive, because we are three dimensional creatures, a lot of people like to think it's time. Well, that's what they say, but like. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> Chris Nolan likes to think it's time, that's for sure. If we're talking about physics, sure, that's fine. <laughs> we're talking about mathematical graph paper. Okay. Like, we're talking about directions. Uh, dimensions is a thing that can mean whatever you need it to mean for the current uh, topic, right? So if we're talking about, I don't know, living, sure, the fourth dimension of time. We move, we move through time. Theoretically, I guess that means it's possible to move back in time if, we, if you want to be able to have freedom of movement in, in that dimension. In the fourth dimensional axis. In the fourth dimensional aspect axis, you'd be able to move forward, which we, you know, we're doing right now. We are currently time traveling. Steadily. It's very strange to think about. 
<laughs> I was. I am not in the same place I was two seconds ago. Whoa! Right. <laughs> <laughs> Simply because time has moved. However, uh, we're talking uh, fourth dimension mathematical geometry directions, uh, moving in a direction uh, other than x, y, and z. I don't remember what the. Yeah, what would the is. what would the name of that additional axis be? I'm I, I'm fairly certain there is a name. I just do not remember it. There are only so many letters in the alphabet. You know what I mean? Yeah, but then you can use like the Greek alphabet, and then you can just start saying random nah, that's things. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you can just name them uh, an integer number. That's fair. If it's the fourth dimension, well, I don't know because four isn't too exceptional from the rest of the numbers because it's just first, second, third, fourth. Yeah. So why should the letter be exceptional? Yeah. And, but I feel like it should be exceptional. But why is it X, Y, and Z? Because those are the last three letters of the alphabet. Why is it in the first three letters of the alphabet? That is a profoundly good question. <laughs> why is it in the middle three letters of the alphabet? <laughs> I'm sure there's a reason. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got, too. I don't, I don't know. We could look into it, but I really don't think it's that important. <laughs> Probably not. But at some point, some geometry teacher was like, this is what you're going to use on your graph paper. <laughs> But you know what? That geometry teacher knew in advance that there were three dimensions because <laughs> you chose the last three letters of the alphabet, which means if there was any more, he would be out of luck, right? Can you imagine just like, all right, we're going to we're only going to do a two dimensional axis. It's going to we're going to label it YZ. <laughs> and then the third dimension comes in. And then what are you going to do? What are you gonna do? Uh, I don't know. YZA? No. Put an X at the beginning. Yeah, sure. Let's go backwards because. I guess we're anarchists. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's the dimensions. We got that conversation out of the way. Yeah. Although, I want to continue talking about it. There's well, a, what more is there to say? There's interesting things to talk Have about. Have we the not exhausted the possibilities of uh, four dimensions? Well, uh, so, a tesseract, the th object we call a tesseract, at least what we... That's true. This all started because <laughs> we were talking about the title of this darn podcast. <laughs> I forgot a hypercube. about uh, The object of a hypercube. We can visualize a hypercube. A uh, thing that we have, we can point at and say, that's a hypercube. That's a tesseract, right? Um, you're looking at it right now uh, if you're yeah, watching if, on YouTube. <laughs> if, you're watching, if you're watching the video version of this podcast, I understand you You are, are currently getting your mind exploded. <laughs> yeah, you... So currently, as we're recording this, you're in the middle of animating this... The yeah. animation that's going to show... The looping on graphic. The, ...on the video version of the podcast, which I un understand features... A hypercube, a tesseract. That is true. Uh, or at least a, visual, most... a visualization of it, which you showing me this from the progress that you've made so far has absolutely blown my mind. Yes, it is a trippy object because it moves. It implies a dimension of movement that we can't conceive. So it's like we, we know how things move in three dimensions. And uh, so I was, what I was going to do is a tesseract is... The three-dimensional shadow of a fourth-dimensional object. So a shadow of an object is just how that thing is projected onto the dimension lower, uh, right? right? So we have two-dimensional shadows. Right, um, because we're three-dimensional beings. Because we're three-dimensional beings. So a one-dimensional shadow of a two-dimensional square is a line. A two-dimensional shadow of a three-dimensional cube is a square. A three-dimensional shadow of a fourth-dimensional cube, or hypercube, is the tesseract. The thing that you're looking at now, a three dimensional shadow, it moves in one dimension less than what it is capable of. However, it implies movement in a fourth dimension. It's some trippy stuff. It is some trippy stuff. It's some trippy stuff. I don't even want to think about it, 
but I'm being forced to. Yeah. And and like the reason it looks so funky uh, is because in the same way that you can have a shadow, like if you just take your arms and cross them in three dimensions, the shadow just looks like an X. But we know there is uh, there is space between right, them. There's right. There's depth. There's depth. Uh, but we, we we completely lose all that information in this in this two dimensional shadow that we create in the same way in the fourth dimensions, there is movement and dimension. There is depth that is implied that we just cannot. We just don't get any of that information. It's completely lost on us, but we can see the shadow of it. And so it looks like there's something happening, but it just doesn't make any sense, <laughs> at least in our, uh, to our sensible sensibilities. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's pretty trippy. It's some, um, can you, well, I think we've talked about this before, but like, this is the kind of stuff that would blow Lovecraft's mind. If Lovecraft knew about the hypercube, he would have a field day. <laughs> yeah. Because we already seen what he did with Euclidean geometry, non-Euclidean geometry, non-Euclidean geometry. Yeah. That's what it was, and uh, which apparently was not an accurate usage of that term. No, well, I mean, it's accurate in the same way that saying like, uh, what what is something also wrong but also right <laughs> that could describe many things. Yeah, but like he is technically correct in that it is non-Euclidean geometry, in that basically everything else also is. <laughs> Yeah, everything else on Earth, at least. Yes, we we exist on the surface of a sphere. Uh, some would argue otherwise. <laughs> but what a time to be alive. It's weird stuff. People have flown around this thing, and, and people are like, "Nah, you didn't do that." <laughs> <laughs> like, the, can, have you? Can you conceive of being the first person to circumnavigate the planet, right? And then somebody come up to you and say, "You did not just do that thing. You just did." <laughs> because my beliefs say you're not even allowed to <laughs> yeah that'd be pretty trippy like i mean they'd be like you really just flew in a circle yeah but like a different kind of circle not the circle you think you flew in a circle involving turns i guess <laughs> right <It's, laughs> i don't know if you shined a laser on uh i don't know one of these disc worlds uh these theoretical disc worlds how does that work? <laughs> right? Like, let's say, okay, you have a disc world, perfectly flat. All right. Big freaking behemoth of a laser. Mm -hmm. uh, you fire it. Light goes in a straight line. We all know this. Mm -hmm. I would hope. Yeah. <laughs> it moves in a straight line. So this big behemoth of a circle, that is our planet, uh -huh. um, is Hold flat. On. The laser moves in a straight line. It would eventually just leave the planet, right? Right. Well, doesn't light already escape our atmosphere? Like, if you were to take a big behemoth laser on our spherical planet currently and shine it, wouldn't it just go straight and then just, like, leave the atmosphere? Yes, but, however, what I'm saying is it would leave at a, it would leave, like, off one of the edges, right? Right. So if you were on the, if you were on the ground, if, say, I don't know, just the United States of America, east to west coast, right? That laser would curve off to the side to our perception because of how the ball has been like flattened i think you're thinking about this a bit harder than a flat earther would because and therein lies the problem because but, if you think about longitudinal lines right the uh longitudinal lines uh, the ones that are uh i don't know horizontal on our planet um roughly to the axis of spin kind of along those directions uh if you shine a light uh if you shine a laser along one of those longitudinal lines 
on Earth, it would stay parallel to the line in terms of like how, I guess, how straight it would go. It would just leave the atmosphere uh, because it's, you know, eventually, it eventually leave the atmosphere. Um, but if the Earth was flat, it would stay parallel to the ground and then leave at an angle. Because the longitudinal lines on a, on a circle aren't all parallel. But that's They're, assuming that it all works exactly the same way that longitudinal lines are supposed to. So, like I said, I think you're thinking about this a little bit too hard, given the subject matter. I mean, the fact that we would allegedly live on a flat spherical or not spherical uh, circular circular disc and not have photographic evidence of the edge <laughs> is a, as far fetched an idea as we could already allow. So <laughs> this is just it's too much or I should say it's too little to comprehend. I, what I'm what I'm trying to conceive of is how that would look rendered out <laughs> in a 3D program. Jake just walked in. Hi, oh, Jake. hey, doggy. And he left again. Yeah, OK, he walked in, walked right out. <laughs> Shook a bit in the microphone. <laughs> yeah, he just walked in, shook his, like, oh, hey, you guys doing a podcast? Okay, I don't want to comprehend uh, Flat Earths anymore. Let's, <laughs> what else have we got to talk about? I'm trying to think of stuff that aren't, like, world-ending. I'm trying to think of stuff that aren't spoiler territory. Because it feels like true. the things that we would talk about most involving our work are things but, that we can't talk about yet <laughs> oh that's true involving involving our work yeah um we can talk about other people's works that's true what what, what movies have we seen lately well, we missed last movie night we did uh well i guess obviously Encanto has been a lot of talk but i feel like we beat that one to death uh in our own personal conversations which <laughs> out of which we have had on these podcasts i would love to continue talking about Encanto. oh my goodness well here's the thing what were some of our favorite movies of last year 2022 has just begun. That's true. We can do like we can a, do a little bit of retrospect. Yeah. Um, well, honestly, I was very surprised by how much I enjoyed Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, my gosh. I think that one was pretty up there last year for me because that is the kind of meta artistic story that I really enjoy. Obviously, we're talking about how with Lin-Manuel Miranda, this is obviously a little bit more niche. It's an adaptation of an adaptation of a monologue. Yeah musical about and by Jonathan Larson and about the very specific subject matter of the artist's lifestyle. Yeah. Just living a creative super, life. That's super niche. Definitely not going to be something that is going to be immediately commercially as commercially successful as some of Lin-Manuel's mm. other works. Yeah. But something that has a really targeted appeal to those who would enjoy it, right? Yeah. Which would be like people like us. Yeah. And, and especially it is, the theater nerd crowd. Especially the theater nerd crowd. Especially. Yeah. Because that's, it, it deals with that subject. Yeah. But and it they, could translate. They don't get too many movies. They really don't. Yeah. But it could translate to any other art form. And that's what I love about it. Right. Cause like even just being a writer, well, obviously even focuses a little bit on writing in there because yeah. it was a musical theater he was a, writer, a, a composer. Yeah. And yeah, there was just so much of that that you can, extrapolate into the artist's lifestyle into living a creative lifestyle generally yeah and it was just a really profound and emotionally resonant piece for me um i thought that was really awesome remember uh, there's a, a channel that i've been watching because i've been getting into musical theater in general 
Yeah, I feel like we both have been on a little bit of a musical <laughs> yeah, theater why. kick, which is something that like we've never been into at literally any other point in yeah. our lives. Like suddenly we're just like, this musical theater thing is actually kind of cool. I think it's there might be dope. something to it. <laughs> you know what? They they might be onto something. <laughs> Well, that's because it's got a lot of good ambassadors nowadays. Yeah, too, yeah. Right? I feel like we're getting to that point where we're where we can see a little bit of a popular resurgence of it. Kind of like what happened with tabletop role playing games yeah. a few years ago. Right. Within this past decade, the tabletop RPG hobby has seen a massive resurgence, primarily because it found the right ambassadors, I feel. Right. I mean, obviously, it helped that D&D fifth edition came along. Yeah from Wizards of the Coast, but coinciding with that was Stranger Things, was the rise of Critical Role, mm-hmm. things of that nature, where you found, the, the brand found the right communicators to show the world how awesome that hobby was at the time where technology was developing to meet that demand. Yeah. And people would be discovering how awesome it is in a very accessible way that, could essentially go on indefinitely in the form of actual play content. And so there would be an abundance of content and an abundance of demand simultaneously. And now we're kind of seeing the fruits of what that has led to, right? Critical role is now as of this recording about to drop the first few episodes. In fact, just today dropped the first three episodes of the legend of Vox Machina, their animated series adapted from their first campaign. And that, shattered kickstarter records yeah it was the highest grossing crowdfunding uh project for film and tv yeah on kickstarter in its entire history that's a pretty big deal that's a massive amount of brand power yeah. that they've and developed it doesn't matter who you are that's like those are some numbers that you, those so are everybody has to look at oh yeah exactly an entire industry has to respond to it so yeah that's how big though that the hobby has gotten and obviously that's critical role in particular, yeah. but Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPGs generally have enjoyed a resurgence, a bit of a renaissance, a cultural renaissance because of that as a, as a fallout of that whole growth. And I feel like we're seeing a bit of the same with musical theater right now, because I don't know if it's just us that's now suddenly getting interested in that yeah. well, subgenre. And, and here's the thing. I think a part of my... Um, I, don't, I don't know. I think a part of my interest in musical theater, just in general has also been a part of, like, partially because of D&D. That's true. Like, there's, there, I don't know if there's, there's something about D&D culture and musical theater culture that these musical theater kids are discovering for the first time D&D, and then they're like, yo, we this exist. Is like, yeah, like, like, we exist, like, I, and, like, I can just play a bard. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing this for a while. <laughs> yeah, like, we've been, <laughs> wait, there's rules? <laughs> yeah, uh, there's so many people that I've discovered who have been talking about D&D coming at it from the point of view of, like, some other creators, oh, yeah. like, from improv or from beats exactly. theater or. Well, and that's where, that's where Critical Role comes yeah. in as well, right? They're all uh, professional actors. They're all voice actors. They're all theater people as well. And guys like Sam Regal, I would yeah. definitely say, contributed hugely to drawing my interest i think in that direction now that i look back on yeah because he comes from that musical theater background and he brought that to the table through scanlon shorthalt and there's really nothing else like watching him do his thing at the table but now i'm discovering that those are skills that a lot of people have yeah so it's it's fascinating it's a whole new world to me but yeah we've sort of been getting into that and i guess it is a bit of a logical leap because it's the perfect crossing yeah, it's a bit of a crossover between a lot of different interests that we've had generally. It's storytelling, it's performance, it's uh, music, because even though we're not necessarily very musical ourselves, 
at least at this present time. Yeah. Uh, like we are both huge connoisseurs of music. We enjoy music and it's part of our lives. And it's something that we really like not only engaging with, but talking about. So it combines all these different elements into something that's really unique and enjoyable. And apparently there's a whole world of it out there that yeah, we are just group. now dipping our toes into. There's a whole group of people who have lived that stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, no small group of people. So anyway, what were you saying? You said you've been getting into that lately. Were you going to talk about something? In yeah, I was, I, was, I was talking about talking, talking about something specific. We were talking um, about movies that we enjoyed this last year. No, that's what I was talking about. Yeah, we were talking about TikTok. Boom. Yeah. Um, one of the musical theater channels that I follow, Waiting in the Wings, uh, did a review of the movie. And it was just like, he he has he, like, he did his official like you know like oh this is the tick tick boom uh official you know review where i have a script and i talk about it but before he did that he just he like he just turned the camera on and was just like i need to talk about this film <laughs> <laughs> and like i just need to vent and just say just raw what that felt like watching it as a theater kid uh, because apparently it's just like it's it's very obviously it's very uh non-specific to creatives but specific to theater kids and just mm. that it is a hard life right there's yeah. like being in a uh a theater production is yeah obviously there's a, the audition process like you, sometimes you just don't get in sometimes projects just don't get made and sometimes you, you you're dedicated to a project and it just never happens right mm. that is just something that happens there's something you're expected to go through as a in that kind of field uh, but apparently um he compared it to, I haven't seen the film. Um, okay, so The Greatest Showman. Okay, so The Greatest Showman. Also, channel's called Wait in the Wings, not Waiting in the Wings. Gotcha. So, Good clarification. Quick, quick clarification. So he talks about um, The Greatest Showman. Again, haven't seen it, but it, uh, it portrays the creative life in a very optimistic manner, right? It's very mm. just, this is awesome, we're creating, and you know, it's like, oh, we're doing what we love, all this other stuff, which is very true, but also, it's hard. And yeah. there's going to be a lot of rejection and there's going to be a lot of just, I have dedicated, what was it, like eight years of uh, Jonathan Larson's li life to making that show. And yeah, just to making uh, flopped. Superbia. Yeah, to making Superbia. And he, like, he released it, everyone loved it, and they're like, no one's going to make it. Yeah, no one's going to make it. Everyone loved it, no one's going to make it. Yeah, and it's like, okay, now what? You, you know, you move on, right? Yeah, which and that, happens. Which happens uh, and, all and, the time. Yeah, and people don't really like to talk about that side of the creative yeah. life because it's super unglamorous Absolutely. and it happens all the time. It happens a majority of the time. Well, and here, too. here's the thing. You look at talent, right? How many, you just purely think of the numbers of how many auditions somebody who wants to be an actor has to go to before they land one job. Oh yeah. Well, we've seen that from the opposite end now lately and doing yeah. uh, larger casting calls for, for some of our more recent projects, right? We had hundreds of people audition for Project Clash uh, which is one of the major projects that we're working on right now, which mm. is what it's codenamed as. You um, probably see it by now out on our YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I hope so. That would be great. That means we're productions moving at breakneck speeds. But we had hundreds of people audition on that across like 20, 30 something roles. Um, Something like that? Between all the different phases. So for Project Clash, we had hundreds of auditions between over 35 roles. Right. Somewhere between 35 and 40 roles. Yeah. So that's a lot of people that we just had to say no to. Yeah, that we had to say no to. Only one person can go to each role, mm -hmm. sometimes one person to multiple roles, yeah. which means there's even fewer people that are making it through. So that's the, the thing that we see from the other end is there are so many people that are trying and there are only so many people that we can give positions. Yeah, to. It's, it's, it's literally not even that they're failing. It's just there's no room. 
Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because there are so many of those auditions. I mean, obviously, a lot of them, yeah, we would say we have rejected, but many of them is just like, yeah, there's nothing bad about your audition. We just have to pick the one that's yeah. best because we just got so many good ones. Yeah, it's like if there's if there's five of you who are competing for this role, this one role, and all of you are equally good, like even if they all turned in the exact same performance, four of those people just have they, they don't they don't get picked, they don't get a job. Yeah, they don't get paid. Yeah, and that's the unglamorous part people don't like to talk about about the creative industry, and especially you know in Hollywood you have like the um, the blacklist. Yeah. Not the old Hollywood blacklist of writers <laughs> that couldn't uh, make movies, but uh, that weren't allowed to make movies, yeah. I should say. Weren't allowed to put their name on the movie is what I ended up being. It, it, it's <laughs> in practice what it was. But the blacklist as it exists now is the nickname for a list of unproduced screenplays that are highly favored by producers in the industry. It's the exact same thing, essentially, that Jonathan Larson went through with Superbia and it's the exact because it's the exact same thing that happens in all creative industries. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of things, a lot of projects that people are looking at that have a lot of promise. Everybody loves them. Yep. Nobody's going to produce them. Yep. It happens. And that's just something we live with. It yeah. just... And sometimes they won't ever get produced. That's Everyone a, will just continue problem. liking them and be like, wow, this has such great potential, uh, but nobody's going to take a chance on it. That happens all of the time. Sometimes they'll never get produced. Sometimes they'll get produced way down the line in an unexpected way. But you just never know. You can't bank on it. Yeah. And that is the dark underside of working in creative industries. So, yeah, that's neat that they directly address that yeah. in contrast to The Greatest Showman. Yeah, it's, it's brutally honest. It's heartfelt. Such a great movie. Such a great movie. Tick, tick, Definitely boom. up there. Yeah, Tick, Tick, Boom. Definitely yeah, up yeah, there among sure. their favorites of 2021. Oh yeah, yeah, that one really struck me. Yeah, I was just I was just looking through um the movies that uh came out in twenty twenty one. Uh, lest we forget about Shang Chi. Oh, yes, Shang Chi was so good. Shang Chi was oh yes, I I want to see that movie again. I, I want to see it. that movie again. I loved it. Yeah, we definitely need to see it again. Well, obviously that not only just because it's fantastic action, but also tells a good story, which is you know kind of unheard of oh, yeah. in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Both of those things. Both of those things or both of those things in unison? Both of those things in unison, but mostly, I guess, they do tell some good stories, but uh, great, like, Hong Kong style. Uh, oh, yeah. Action um, design. Action design and brilliant. martial arts. Like, that's almost unheard of in Yeah, I was going to say, that's obviously way up our alley because just, it's Marvel, it's action, and it's great storytelling. It's just so many things put together. and. Yeah, I absolutely love that. That was honestly, I had high hopes and high expectations for it, mm -hmm. and it somehow managed to exceed them. Oh, absolutely. Because... I was just expecting it to be good. Yeah. I wasn't I expecting been, to like it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would, we would have been satisfied with it being just base minimum good. It's just like, that's all it needed to be. But no, they really went above and beyond. And I love the what they went through to cast and hire the right cast and crew. Yeah for this project right because you obviously everyone likes to talk about andy lee being in there from yeah. marshall club but also all sorts of people you know even on the like the heavy hitters you got michelle yo um you've got tony lung playing yep. the villain right you've got genuine hong kong talent bring their presence to this western film and it does it all brilliantly like it feels like actually something actually committed to the genre that it's supposed to be emulating yep. to the point that it's not even emulating. It just becomes a Wu Sha film. Yeah. And 
that's awesome. And it tells a story that is very thematically wuxia in many yeah. ways. It has a lot of those thematic elements that you would expect from a more Eastern kind of storytelling. And really, that's what it took is just somebody needed to commit to the bit. <laughs> yeah, like, like we're making it like we're making a martial arts film. We're making a martial arts film. Oh, yeah. And then you bring in, obviously, it was one of the last films that Brad Allen worked on before yeah. he tragically Rest passed away. Yeah. From uh, the Jackie Chan stunt team. Brilliant martial artist in his own right but also brilliant second unit director and stunt mm-hmm. coordinator for a huge chunk of his career after he was done with the Jackie Chan stunt team. Uh, and one of the few uh, Westerners to even be in that team. Well, I say Westerner, Australian. <laughs> so <laughs> we technically, for some reason, Australia is kind of lumped in with the Western well, world. Because it, it is the Western world. They just like took a chunk off of it and just moved it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not geographically Western, but it is certainly culture. Yeah, it's a Western culture. They just like got, planted in this, in this freaking arid soil of the desert and <laughs> of a desert island. Yeah, but yeah, they, they obviously they brought in Brad Allen. Yep. Uh they brought in But if I remember correctly, he was the first um I I, I think the way that it's uh worded is he's the first non-Chinese uh actor to be in the Jackie Chan stunt team. Yes. Officially. Yes. Officially, yeah, officially. Of course. Because a lot of people he worked with a lot of people at first, but uh of course, but uh he was the first official member of the Jackie Chan stunt team. Yeah. And also uh, Christopher Cohen of uh, also of YouTube fame for yep. Riven X3i. They did a lot of like anime adaptation videos back Some in the day dope that were stuff. that went super viral. Yeah, um, still making uh, dope anime. Yeah, stuff. yeah, they did that My Hero Academia more recently. That was a bit of a return to form. Yeah, but I remember. I, I remember think that they, went viral. They were responsible for like a lot of those old like live action yeah. Naruto videos yeah. from like way back in the like mid to late two thousands, but. Yeah, bringing him on to do action design and some of uh, uh, a bunch of other brilliant people on the action design team to give it that genuine Hong Kong feel and actual commitment to martial arts action and filming it in a way that is cinematic and that is clearly communicated. Yeah, because that's one of the big issues that Hollywood has had for a long time, which is not shooting action well, not shooting it in a way that's clearly communicated. Well, not understanding what the purpose of action is in the story. It's exactly, yeah. Oftentimes, and there, there is this just, I think there's this problem uh, generally in Western storytelling, and I think this also is a problem, just going back to 5e for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, D&D. D&D. Uh, same thing, same problems as Hollywood. Exact same problems. Uh, no, but suddenly fighting becomes separate from the story. It's like, okay, and this is the point where they fight. And now they fight. And, and now they fight. It's like, well, like, there, there is a reason they're fighting. It, there has to be a narrative dialogue that's happening between these, or not necessarily these two, but whoever the, the combatants are. They're saying something by fighting. So you have to communicate to the audience, what do these people want? What are you trying to communicate with the other person that they're fighting against? They're trying to get something, right? It's not just, I'm punching you because I felt like it. Otherwise, that'd be a very boring movie. Not necessarily. That's what John Wick is, and that's whole, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, but, but but John Wick is just a demonstration. That's like we we know what we're going in for. Yeah. But uh, fighting is usually it's a dialogue. It's uh, two people want something, and they cannot both be they they cannot both have it at the same time. So then it's conflict. They have so then they have to they have to butt heads sometimes literally, and when that happens, um, you have to communicate to the audience why they're fighting otherwise it's just two people hitting each other for like 15 minutes and that's not necessarily the best experience yeah and that well and i feel like just talking about the cinematics of it though right and the way you shoot a fight scene yeah yeah, they shot it in that proper hong kong style with clearly communicated lines of action and i feel like the antithesis of that obviously would be 
the Western tradition certified by the uh, Bourne movies yep. of the shaky cam and quick cuts. Thankfully, we've generally moved away from that globally. Yeah. Uh, we And I think it was really all owed to John Wick because... Well, it definitely one of the first um, purely Western films that uh, d- did a lot of long takes with skilled actors all on screen doing the moves. Yeah. And showing, yeah, showing the action clearly communicated, obviously directed by the literal founders of 8711, which is yep. one of the most high level, prestigious stunt teams in the industry. Uh, they obviously were going to shoot the yeah. action properly and, and for that's the John it, Wick franchise. And that's what it would have taken. We've been saying it for years up until that point, and we're still saying it. It's just put your stunt people in charge of the action. Exactly. Like, don't just shoot your stunt people and then decide to cut it up later in the, like in the, in the booth, but like actually let them be in charge of the camera. They know how their moves look on camera. They stunt people know what they're doing. Let them do their turns out. It turns out. But ever since John wick became such a huge mega success, you've been seeing copycats and you've been seeing creators all over Hollywood trying to replicate their formula and replicate that style of action and that style of, color grading and stuff and like For basically some yeah taking in that style of cinematography and taking all the elements and just trying to throw them back together and see if they could find the same success i but don't know honestly, why this movie worked but let's do it all <laughs> exactly yeah but thankfully one of the things that was taken away is its approach and style of action yeah which is a whole lot more preferable i'd rather see that get knocked off poorly than see more just born more movies born. getting knocked off more well. Born, more Taken 5 yeah. or whatever that was. Oh, yeah. Like, the Taken movies get ridiculous. I didn't even watch any of the Taken movies after the first one. Nope. But from what clips I have seen, like, the cutting of the action gets it's just ridiculous. over the top. It's, it's so... I lost it, it seeing it hurts. pop up on Twitter a clip of, like, a 15-cut sequence of Liam Neeson yeah. jumping over a fence. It, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, like, it, it, it just hurts because... Like, you did not need that many cuts to communicate that little story. <laughs> yeah. And it's just a complete overload of the senses. And it, it, it's done intentionally to confuse and basically stress out the audience member to put them, for some reason, to put them in the same, uh, you know, kind of mindset as the characters, right? You know, you want, to, you want your, your audience to feel empathy with the characters. So, like, the characters are stressed. I'm going to make my audience member stressed. That's... That's not how it's supposed to work. <laughs> like you don't want them to feel stress. You want them to understand well, so, that that there is heightened stakes with good storytelling, not by scaring them. Well, it's the same. It's gimmicky, right? And yeah. it's 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 a cheap shortcut to storytelling, yeah. right? Instead jump of scares. Ascent, uh, I was gonna get there. I was <laughs> gonna get there. Stop jumping ahead of me. Right. Like it's a it's a shortcut. Instead yeah. of using actual storytelling craftsmanship, you emulate the emotion using sensory overload yeah right so instead of creating excitement narratively Mm -hmm. you create excitement artificially by just cutting together so many different clips and making it so fast-paced quote-unquote yeah uh, but like making giving it the appearance of fast-pacedness that will presumably have an emotional effect on the audience that is making them feel intense, feel yeah. quickened, feel rushed, but there's no craftsmanship that goes into it. Mm-hmm. And it's the exact same thing with jump scares. Yeah. Jump scares are a cheap sensory shortcut to craftsmanship, right? Like you could create atmosphere and you could create genuine horror and terror, or you can just 
prey on human instinct and our built-in physiological responses to quick movements and loud noises and bright and lights. Bright lights. Yeah. Like that's reptile brain stuff. Yeah, it's reptile brain stuff. And dogs will be afraid of it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? But no, there's we're, we're creating for humans. We got to yeah. tap into human emotion. And fear is a primal human emotion that when approached intelligently can be really profound in the kinds of stories you could tell. But if you're just relying on jump scares to make your audience feel a sense of dread yeah then you're really just selling your story short of what it could be yeah and that's and that's why i always bring the, the bring to attention the difference between like fear and being scared like if you are afraid of the thing you are watching that is good storytelling like you are actively fearing the thing that you're watching and it's making you uncomfortable that's good storytelling but being scared Anybody can be I can I can, can sneak up behind you and poke you in the back and you'll be scared. That took zero effort in storytelling. <laughs> yeah. Like no skill. Yeah. Like but you don't fear me coming up behind you and <laughs> poking you in the back. But like because it, cause it, for me to do that would take a lot more effort. And sometimes when you're making movies, you just gotta pump out movies. And yeah. that's not necessarily where I would like genre movies to, you know, go in. Cause like genre movies I think have a special place in culture. It's like you gotta have it, it it shouldn't be something that you go into to make money. But unfortunately, it, it is for a unfortunately. Because <laughs> all, right. all you do is just let down the people who are a fan of that. And it's like, it's not really, it's not very good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have up the list of 2021 movies yeah. that came out. Let me just go over some ones that we did not get the chance to see, but are definitely mm-hmm. ones we have to see eventually. Oh, yeah, because we didn't get to see the new James Bond movie, No Time nope. to Die. Which was directed by, let me bring up his name because I'll screw it up. Kerry Joji Fukunaga. I have no idea. Kerry uh, Joji Fukunaga. Nope. Was a Japanese director? Oh yeah, third generation Japanese American. Wow, look at that. that. He was born in an internment camp. Okay, but yeah, Kerry Joji Fuk- Fukunaga. Uh, he directed *Beast of No Nation*, and he oh. was mostly known before that for doing i think a few episodes of true detective which i still mm, haven't seen yeah we have to we have to see that i'm pretty sure he directed that one or that it, that is the, the one that everyone talks about in that show <laughs> yeah don't quote me on that though but i'm fairly certain so yeah he directed the latest james bond movie and apparently it's daniel craig's official last outing before he dies of old age <laughs> we mean before they kill him <laughs> yeah before they kill him from having to do more james bond movies that he's been trying to get out of for forever um so yeah we still haven't seen that uh still haven't seen we didn't see free guy did not see dune although i do need to finish the book first yes because <laughs> i'm in the book. middle of it but definitely going to see that eventually because denis villeneuve is just a master and mm-hmm. uh i'm really dedicated to watching pretty much anything he yep. does um yeah i didn't see free guy I didn't see ghostbusters afterlife yep. oh, or so- the green knight or yep. any of those uh spider-man no way home just came out that's more true recently. that's true we probably shouldn't announce that we haven't seen that. Uh, <laughs> Actually, no, this will come out months but, later. Hopefully, hopefully by now. we'll have seen it by then. We will have seen it. Um, we just haven't had time. Yeah, it's been tough. It's been tough. There's been, we've been super busy. So these are a whole lot of awesome stuff that plenty of people have already seen that we have fallen behind on, but definitely we'll have to see eventually. Yeah, don't add us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, Mr. Nobody or just uh, Nobody as the title of it. Which I did want to see that one. That was the one with... Uh, Bob Odenkirk playing the oh, action yes, hero. Oh yes, yes, yeah. So I love the, I love that premise, and I love 
Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. J- just generally speaking, I think he's a very great unlikely action hero. Yeah. And so I, I remember watching, I think there was a, a, a featurette style thing in front of one of my videos. I usually don't watch trailers, but I, I, I was really curious. So I just wanted to see what it would look like. Um, there was like, a, I think the bus sequence where he just beats a bunch of people. Oh, yeah. Bus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I went and watched that. I was like, man. The action looks pretty good. He it? looks pretty good. Yeah, it looks pretty I good. I believe it. Well, that was directed by the same guy who did Hardcore Henry. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. It yeah. looks so it, he, it's kind he, of like that, that same, guy, a similar. Yeah, yeah, I've heard him talk about action, and he definitely has a respect for the craft of creating cinematic action. So, if you're doing Hardcore Henry, you've got to have some some kind of respect towards action. <laughs> that is fair. Which I actually did kind of like Hardcore Henry. Yeah, I didn't think I, that was bad. Well, here's the thing. I I wish Hardcore Henry wasn't so committed to its bit. <laughs> <laughs> is there, there was such a thing as too much commitment yeah. there, is what you're saying. Well, uh, I, I liked it as well. The problem is, I wish more people weren't physically unable to see it. <laughs> <laughs> that is fair. I feel you there. I yeah. feel you there. They could have used some stabilization. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also, a kind of uh, smaller scale one that I would love to see from last year was Belfast. I didn't get the chance to see that Which one was either. That? Um, it's a film, I believe it's Kenneth Branagh. That's his name. Okay. Kenneth Branagh's latest film. And it's, uh, it looks like a very heartfelt kind of semi-biographical, not necessarily biographical, but like very nostalgic kind of look at the place that is Belfast at a very Mm -hmm. particular historical point in time. It's in black and white and it looks just very sentimental and very touching in a lot of ways but also very uh dramatic and a very just well put together just generally well shot the cinematography looks amazing mm-hmm. the visuals and the performances just look great it's got a great cast and so that one actually very much interested me on the more like just proper drama side yeah. of things so really this is just a recap of all the stuff we haven't seen <laughs> <laughs> more so yeah well i guess just unfortunately with the time uh that we're in and also the production cycle that we're in. We just haven't had a lot of oh, yeah. opportunity to watch too many new movies. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's been rough. It's yeah. been rough, but we've been watching stuff on occasion. Yeah. Very infrequent occasion. <laughs> well, one thing's for sure. We'll be watching the legend of Ox Machina when it premieres. Yep. Uh, well, now that it's premiered, we'll be watching that this weekend. We've Indeed. already got time scheduled for uh, that. Dang it. All right. I'm, I'm scrolling through uh, the YouTube homepage. I need to stop. Freaking Vox right, Machina is already on there. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. At least there's that. But anyway, I think it's about time we wrap up this first episode. Yeah, I think that went pretty pretty well. That was a wide range of topics I'm sure we covered. Oh, yeah. I like this. It feels just like one of our conversations. It does. After a while, just forget about the microphone. Yeah, yeah. It's nice. It's nice. So hopefully that's the essence of what we can achieve with this podcast series is to kind of recreate these casual conversations that yeah. we have from time to time that range widely on a plethora of subjects. So... Thank you all very much for listening. Thank you very, very much. Uh, this has been the Hypercube Podcast. This show is mixed and edited by Rafael Pacheco with original theme music by Mono Memory. Until next time, we'll see you all later. Peace. Squared. No. No <laughs> squares no. this time. What is, what the, is, what, what is our outro? <laughs>